welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. It's, uh, it's my privilege to share with you from the Word, and we've got a bit of Word to get through today. You know, we love the Bible, being believers, don't we? And if you can, pull your Bibles out. We're going to go straight to Genesis. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Just uh, turn to the Christian next to you. Read their Bible or just check out the screens. And uh, if you're streaming in from home, we'll have the scriptures come up very soon. I I felt this... Uh, to share this just earlier actually uh, in an encounter service a prayer service that we had recently I felt like the Lord prompted me to share it uh, today and I want to talk about three people in scripture I'm going to talk about Abraham and his experience I'm going to talk about David and his experience and then I'm going to touch on Paul the apostle in the New Testament his experience as well it's really quite interesting what we see here And um, we'll see how God speaks and promises and graces and he anoints. But some things just take time. Some things just take time. So I want to start, if I can, uh, from Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 15, a few verses from chapter 16, a few verses from 17 and 18, and a little bit from 21. Genesis 15. Verse 1 to 6, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived Ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Okay. What's happening here? Abram, who is later named Abraham, we're going to read about that, is married to Sarai, who's later named Sarah. She couldn't bear children. They were old at this point. Quite old. And um, Abram, in this moment, at the age of 85, is, he wants kids. He wants kids. He wants to have a child. <laughs> at the age of 85 years old. Holy bedooly. God bless you, man. So he looks at his wife, Sarai, and she goes, I can't help you, mate. But we do have a, a, a servant. 
And in those days, it was not uncommon for this to happen, to try and bear children. If you couldn't bear children, you could bear a child through someone else. So that's what's happening here. Um, but as time passes, there's a bit of hostility between the ladies. Understandably, right? Why is this happening? Well, if we look a little bit earlier in chapter 15, I haven't given you this, Trev, but I'll go there anyway for context. God speaks to Abram. God speaks to him and says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. So here he has a conversation at the age of 85, possibly 86. And within a year, Abraham's trying to bring about this child by himself. Bring about his child by himself. God speaks, he promises, he graces at the ripe old age of 85, possibly 86 there. And then within a year... He tries to make things happen himself. Have you ever been given a word from God and you try and make it happen yourself? Has God ever anointed you for something and you've tried to work it out in the flesh? Galatians 4 talks about this. Making things happen. It's, it's akin, there is a picture that Paul paints of us of the law and grace here. That the law is when Abraham, or Abram at that point, tries to produce his own fruit in his own flesh and not trust God. Though God has spoken to him, God's word was true, he couldn't wait. So we read on. In chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, that's some time later, right? 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. For no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Let's read on in verse... Let's go to verse... 15 and God said to Abram as for Sarai your wife you shall not call her name Sarai but Sarah 
shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? So we were laughing before at 85, 86. <laughs> He's now a hundred, and God speaks to him. And he has a laugh. He has a chuckle. Understandably. <laughs> Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is so interesting. God said, No, but Sarah... Your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Ninety-nine years old. So there was some um, 14 years between the birth of Ishmael, who came from Hagar, and then there's now this conversation involving Abraham saying that your wife, who's 90 years old, is going to have a baby. 90 years old. Yvonne Lim, that makes you a toddler. Can you imagine that? So we then see in chapter 18 and verse 9, another conversation where we see a theophany or a Christophany, which is Christ appearing with two angels, comes to Abram. And these, these three speak to Abram and say, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's in the tent. The Lord then says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. What is that telling us? She couldn't have kids anymore. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I wonder if that's a word for you this morning. Is anything too hard for the Lord? With man, maybe this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And so they have a little domestic. I didn't laugh. You did laugh. I didn't laugh. You did laugh. But she was just scared. If you're taking notes, write this down. Never laugh off a crazy God decision. Never laugh off a crazy God decision. Let's get into it. What has God spoken to you that has caused you to laugh like Sarah had laughed. Has it been so out of your box that you've said, that's just too crazy to be God? 
What does Isaiah 55 tell us? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. God is holy, the most commonly mentioned attribute of God in the scriptures. He is holy. He is gracious. He is loving. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He is all of these things, but he is holy. And when God says something, it's sometimes not going to fit into our paradigm. It's not going to compute. It's not going to make sense. We're going to get confused. We're going to get upset. Maybe we might even laugh it off. But pay attention to God's crazy ideas and don't laugh it off. When I was preparing, I, re I remember the time I laughed off something that God said to me. It was in October 2009. We were sitting in the old building in Westchester Road, which is about half this size. And I had a bad attitude on a particular Sunday. Does anyone come to church with bad attitudes sometimes? Don't look at me like that with your halos and stuff. I had a bad attitude. Started praying in the spirit because I knew I had a bad attitude. And all of a sudden, I felt the presence of God come on me. And I haven't felt it like this. And I heard God speak to me about the fear of man. And he said to me, before long, you will take over the leadership of this church. I did not like that at all. I, I'm honest, I didn't like it. I left the room. I wrote it down in my little black book. I kept it quiet. Do you know what happened? Two months later, Phil Stevenson, the then pastor, says, we have to do this. I have to hand over the church. He said, I feel you're the guy. As much as I was fighting on the inside, I knew that the Lord had spoken. I knew the Lord had spoken. But I, when God speaks to us, as crazy as his ideas are, our call is not to make things happen in the flesh. I don't... I don't want an Ishmael. I want an Isaac. I don't know about you, but when God speaks to you, you don't want to work something out in the flesh. You, you don't want works. You want grace. You want God to birth something. And so when God speaks to us, may he birth it in the spirit. May he birth it in the spirit. So in January, when he got back from his long service leave, he had this conversation with me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know what this is going to look like. This is the beginning of um, 2010. By March, there was the handover service, the commissioning service. That's a pretty fast transition. I didn't know what I was doing back then. I still don't know what I'm doing now. All that I know is that when God speaks, when God anoints, we just walk in that. We rest in that. So perhaps this is a message for someone here this morning, a word that don't laugh off a crazy God decision. What decision has he made about your life where it doesn't make sense? Let's talk about David now. In 1 Samuel, chapter 16, I'll go from verse 6 through to 13. To paint the picture, we... We probably all know this, that Samuel the prophet has been sent by God to the family of Jesse to anoint 
the next king. And so Samuel the prophet takes a horn of oil to anoint the right person. So Jesse brings all his boys out. He's got uh, eight sons. He brings them out and this is what happens. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is the first son. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping their sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now that would have been a pretty crazy decision. The next king, after Saul, was a young kid who scholars say was between the age of 10 to 15, possibly 12 years old. Where is he? He's out in the field. The brothers weren't looking that way. The father certainly wasn't looking that way, but God was. See, God's decisions really are quite interesting. No matter how we look on the outside, how polished we are, how tall we are, how good looking we are, whether we're male or female or wealthy or we're impoverished, it doesn't matter. God always looks at the heart. And what's interesting is that he saw, God saw this young man, David. I wonder how the brothers would have felt. I wonder, I wonder what they would have thought. No, he's the youngest. It's supposed to go to the eldest. Or then the next. It shouldn't go to the youngest. What's he do? What's he know? He's the guy that, he's the guy that looks after the sheep and the dag and the wool. and What? what? God had anointed him. Never laugh off a God decisions. And then this is what is really fascinating about David do you know what he did after he was anointed where did he go back to the sheep he went anointed to be king my people back to the sheep back to serving back to obscurity back to not being recognized, likely looked down upon, but God didn't look down upon him. What about when, when Goliath came? David comes. Remember, David came to slay Goliath. He wasn't king at that point, but he slayed Goliath. 
he was still out in the field. He came and he slew, slew Goliath. Fast forward. We see even Saul, eventually, as David matures, becomes threatened of David and tries to kill him. But David's heart is being tested in this whole process. And if you're writing notes, write this down. Pay attention that after God calls you or promises or graces or anoints you, it's very important to not take matters into your own hands. Abraham did this. He took matters into his own hands. Ishmael came from that. But David did the right thing. Because on two occasions, when he was on the run from Saul, he could have killed King Saul. He could have killed him. He could have killed him. He did nothing wrong, but he did the right thing. There is often a time between God's calling or his gracing or his enabling and empowering and his anointing to his appointed time for us. You know that, don't you? There was some 15, some say 20 years between when David was anointed to be king to when he was actually appointed to be king. He became king at about the age of 30 years old. But he was anointed at about 12. Why did God wait so long? Why did he anoint David back when and not when he was 25, 26, 27, 28, 29? Why, why, why did he do it way back when? Why does God sometimes speak things to us and into our hearts? And then we've got to wait such a long time before we see the fruit produced. Why does he do that? Anyone? Because he's developing us. See, for David to be a good king, unlike Saul, there was some character development that needed to take place. I wonder if God's got a pause button on you because he loves you too much to give you what he has promised you right now. What if he's trying to grow us up in the process so that we are ready to handle what he's got for us? But God, I, I, I want it now. I can't wait. And we have a crockpot God dealing with us in a microwave generation. We want things now. Everything's instantaneous. But God says, hold on a minute. Let me do something. I want to grow you up. Because what I have for you is too great for you to have right now. I want to teach you some things. I want to take you through obscurity. I want to work through humility in your heart. I want to help knock off some of those sharp edges, the bits of you that are you, and I want to put me in there. I've got three amazing daughters. One of them, as I've said before, is already talking about moving out and driving. Not because she's got a problem with mum and dad, just because she likes her independence. Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. And so as she's excited to drive, you know what? As a good father, what I'll do is I'll give her the keys right now and let her take the wheel. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a responsible parent thing. She'd be pretty happy. 
She, because she wanted to do it now. Why would she have to wait? Yeah, here, take the wheel. That would be very irresponsible for me as a parent, wouldn't it? And it'd be irresponsible for other people on the roads too. We've already got enough crazy drivers in the church. Amen or ouch? That's all I'm... It's got to take time for the children to develop, to grow, to learn, to understand, for their brains to develop, for their, for their perception to develop, for their skills to develop on the roads. And then after, hopefully just one test, because they'll pass with flying colors, but maybe it's multiple, they get the keys, they get their license, and they can drive. I've got to be careful sometimes with the Lord because I want to drive now. I, I want the wheel now. But God says, hang on, son. I'm going to take you through some lessons first. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So may we not take matters into our own hands. And may we embrace that season of development. Have you... Um, have you any recollection, if you're older the age of probably 30 or 40, I don't know, any recollection of these, these, these old camera things where you'd put film in there? <laughs> Remember, you put the film, I'm too young for that. You put the film in, take a photo, click, right? And then you've got to get the roll of film and you've got to keep it dark, right? You've got to keep it dark and then you, you might put seal it in an envelope and then you send it off and then that, they would send it off and then... You'd come back and like a week or two weeks later and you have your, your, <laughs> your photos printed. Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? I just click out my phone. And within seconds, bang, it's done. I wonder if God's a little bit like that with us in our hearts where he imprints on us a picture of what he says. He imprints on our hearts his purposes, his anointing the future. And we're like that roll of film. He says, now I need you to let me take you into a dark room. And there's going to be some time to develop that film. And just like when we're developing those old rolls of film, you don't want any light to come in. You don't want the door to open. You can't turn the lights on because it might ruin what's imprinted on that roll. But at the right time, after eight or nine chemical reactions, we're ready to present that picture. But Lord, I, 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 I like the, the quick instantaneous photos from my phone. Take it to Kmart, it's done within seconds and only pay 15 cents. I love that. But perhaps God says, you're like that old roll of film and you're too special to me to allow you to have everything instantaneously. Some things just take time. So may we not take matters into our own hands and rush things along. Is God developing you right now? Is He developing you? Do you feel unnoticed, uninvited? Do you feel unapplauded, unrecognized? 
ignored. How do you feel? Maybe God's developing you for what he has for you. May we embrace every single season. Every season. A lot of us want to be at the front right now. That's often the flesh. I remember a time there was a gentleman who had the gift of the gab, very good at speaking, public speaking, and felt the need to tell me that he's called to preach in the church. A friend of mine. And I said, that's great. You feel to preach? Yeah, I feel to preach. I said, okay, how about this? First of all, you preach in the children's ministry. He goes, what? I'm not called to preach to children. I said, yeah, you're called to preach, serve in the children's ministry. Uh, no, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I mean, I'm, I feel I'm called to preach to adults. I said, no, we're called to serve first. We serve where God wants us to go. That's it. I don't know about you, but it doesn't, whatever God says, I, I just want to serve Him. Whatever He wants. Whatever He wants. And sometimes you're going to feel like, am I really called to this? But a lot of it comes down to perspective. One of the hardest seasons of my life was when I was at university. God got a hold of me um, in my first year, almost second year. God got a hold of me. And the hardest thing was that my heart started to drift away from university. And I was so excited about the things of God. I just want, I want to do Bible college. I want to lead out there. Lead in my church. And I felt like the Lord said, no, serve in your church and continue on with your studies. It took five years to finish that degree. And do you know that is such an invaluable lesson for me to continue what God has called me to start and to do so with, a, with excellence and with the right heart. Because you can do the right thing with the wrong heart, but God wants you to do the right thing in the right heart. And what I learned back then has set me up for the future. All character developing things that's why God cares so much about us he doesn't want our calling or our charisma to take us to places where our character cannot sustain us he's so much more interested in your character than in your career or your charisma it's your character that sustains you that is Christ in you so first thing never Laugh off a crazy God decision. Second thing, don't take matters into your own hands. And final point, let God work it out. Let God work it out. Remember, Paul, the apostle in the New Testament. Let's talk about him. He was converted, called and commissioned on the way to Damascus in about 33, 34 AD. Acts tells us this. Do you know what he did after he was converted and called and commissioned? Do you know what he did from that point? He didn't go and plant churches straight away. He went away straight to Arabia. And he was there for a few years. We often skip that. But for at least three years, he was learning. He was developing. He was understanding who God was and what he meant to him. And then after that point, God worked it out. When was he called? Well, he was called back here 
but it took time. He did not take matters into his own hands. We see at 100, Isaac is born. Genesis 21 tells us, I won't go there because of time. Verse 1 to 5 tells us he was 100 years old. Sarah was either 90 or 91. God was teaching him to trust in the process. Trust in the process. Maybe that's a word for you this morning. Trust in God's process. You know, when I was praying recently, I saw a picture of God holding a watch. I felt like him speak to me. He says, my watch is not the same as your watch. Stop looking at your watch and look at mine. Why are you laughing? Does that apply to you too? It certainly applies to me. I like to know what's my schedule like. I want to make the most of every hour of the day. And sometimes I can get in the way of what God wants to do. Am I the only one? God's looking at his watch going, hang on. My watch looks totally different to yours. Why don't you just trust me? Let me work this out. Let God work it out in his time. His time. In his time, all things are beautiful. In his time. When God speaks to you, rest in his promise and trust in his process. Let's go to James chapter 1. verse 2 the musos can come please it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds yeah let's count it all joy when tough things happen what he doesn't say is hey when tough times come have a whinge to god complain about your life that's not what he says it's quite antithetical he says count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance or patience or perseverance, depending on your translation. And let steadfastness have its full effect or let patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. First Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. All you mama bears out there, um, you've, you've carried a child for how long? About what? Nine months. Have you ever felt that you've got to a point where you just want to get it over with? Let me just baby come out, please. Please, it's, it's too much for me. Do you get to that point? But we just have to trust God and trust how he's made our bodies, right? And in that process, though, mums do an amazing thing. As the bodies develop, you wonderful mothers learn to carry that baby so well. You carry the child. Your body doesn't just change. How you walk changes. How you eat changes. How you speak changes. How you sleep changes. 
And that's the same thing when God deposits a promise into us. And he deposits grace upon us. When he gives us a word, we've got to make sure that as we let him work it out, we carry that seed well. So how, here's the question. How can we better carry what God has deposited in us? How can we steward better what he has promised, what he has spoken, how he has graced, how he's enabled or empowered? What are we feeding our eyes, our ears? What are we feeding our relationships? How does that look? How can we carry that anointing as we let him work it out? I want to finish with a story I've shared with a number of you before, and that's a story about my mum, who I remember hearing as a 12 or 13-year-old child in a church service like this, I heard the preacher prophesy over my mother and say, the Lord is going to bless you with a house. He's going to give you a house. Who'd like that word? You know what she didn't do? She didn't laugh. She didn't laugh. She didn't laugh it off. But what she did do, was she trusted God in the process. She didn't take matters into her own hands. She didn't think, oh, that must mean that I'm going to uh, need to get a loan and God's going to take care of me. I I need to start saving lots of money because somehow I'm going to reach that goal. She didn't do that. She just trusted God and didn't take matters into her own hands. After that, she went through separation and divorce with my dad. She had even less next to her name. Looked dire. But have a guess what? Some 15 years later, someone gave her a house. I always come back to that story that reminds me of the faithfulness of God and how true He is to His Word. When He speaks, when He empowers, when He enables, if He has appointed something to happen, He will anoint you to see that through. That's just how it works. If God has spoken something to you, if it's of Him, rest in Him. Lean on Him and let Him work it out because He will. He is faithful, friends. Now, just because you at this point don't see the outcome or the fruit doesn't mean your faith is not working. Just like it takes time for plants to grow and produce fruit, that there are things happening beneath the surface. Maybe God's doing something in your heart. Maybe He's organising things in the supernatural divine realm. Maybe He's lining up relationships. Maybe He's sorting things out with other people and other things that will eventually see Him fulfil His purposes in your life. My commendation for you today, family and friends, is trust in Him and let God work it out. He's good enough to do it. Can we pray into this this morning? Would you stand up with me, please? And as we pray, I want us to have a moment to just think. 
have a think about what he has spoken to you about in your life. Has he anointed you for something? Has he called you? Has he empowered you? Has he shown you a picture? Maybe it's a scripture that's yet to come to pass. As we pray, let's make sure we don't laugh off whatever he says. Let's make sure we don't just try and take matters into our own hands, but let's try to let him work it out. If you're comfortable, would you raise your hands toward heaven and we're going to invite Holy Spirit to come to remind, encourage, and fulfill in His time. Father, we thank You for the goodness of Your Holy Spirit who in this moment is encouraging Your people. I ask, Father, for grace right now in this room for those of us that are discouraged, even in a state of despair, for those of us struggling in a state of depression. Lord, maybe we've been distracted by the world. We come to You and we say, would You please fulfill in Your time what you have called. I pray, Lord, that you remind us to grow in faith, to mature in faith, and to not despise the process of refinement. Lord, we thank you that we are becoming big people in Jesus. And at times where we've taken our eyes off Jesus, Lord, we thank you for forgiving us. But again, we fix our gaze to you, Lord, to the beautiful, completed work of the cross. Father, in this room, I just declare life and peace and shalom over every soul, over every mind, over every body. And as a collective family in your body, this community right now, we need your divine grace to see through to completion what you have begun in us. Thank you, Father. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.